30 episodes. 30 episodes. <laughs> Coming up on our uh, first year anniversary, actually. Yeah. We've lasted uh, surprisingly long. Yeah. Um, Resilience. So, that's that's, that's in our title. <laughs> Resilience means ignoring obvious signals to quit. <laughs> yeah, never, never. <laughs> Not listening to people who know better. Um, so welcome, everyone. This is episode 30 of Room of Requirement. I am one of your co-hosts, Kamala Shrao, and with me, as always, is... Ah, Miracle Jones. Yeah. Good to see you, man. Yeah, I think yeah, it's, yeah, been yeah. A, it's been a couple of weeks just because of the holidays and whatnot. Yeah. Yeah. Um, how you been? Ah, not bad. You know, I'm actually doing really well. I finished the book, so I'm in like post book like uh, honeymoon phase. Yeah, that'll last two weeks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's just it's great. I just like you know, I've slept really well. Wow. My dreams are my own. <laughs> I'm not trying to solve unsolvable problems. What are you I doing with them. all this like like spare like personal time? I made a giant to do list and I'm crossing I stuff off. I saw that. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's great. I, you know, like I, I might organize my computer desktop. Sure, great. Yeah. You know, I don't know. It's been it's been really nice. Just go wild. Yeah, I'm reading, reading a couple of new books and that I wouldn't ordinarily read. I'm getting back to people with emails. Like <laughs> the last like. <laughs> month or so i was just doing like two thousand words a day and just wasn't i talked to you but mm. like, i was kind of bugging out on all my responsibilities so now i'm getting back into those and it's great i love editing so this process is like the fun part okay yeah all right, yeah. It's, all right. E- editing is very existentially satisfying uh-huh. whereas writing is very existentially troubling <laughs> <laughs> and uh not to delve too deeply but uh you're uh looking for a job yeah you're still on looking the, for a job you're uh yeah, yeah. Wearing down the shoe leather and yeah, knocking got, on doors. I've got one really good prospect, so hopefully cool. by next cool. time I'll, I'll have something locked Yeah, down. well, good luck with that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think I wanted to talk a little bit about, like, just... Uh, the holidays, and I know yeah, we talked yeah. about. Yeah, yeah. So it. you're 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 a bachelor right now. I am a bachelor yeah, right yeah. now. So my wife is away. Uh, so she uh, takes her annual trip um, to uh, visit her family in Taiwan and leaves me to myself for about a month. Uh, it's so long. <laughs> it's so long. Um, I mean, it's it's so long, but I mean, it's also like I mean, I talk to her every day. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. And like video conferencing is pretty good, and then like throughout the day, uh, we're on. Uh, completely opposite sides of the globe. So while she's asleep, I'm awake and vice versa. So um, our system is to send each other reports about what we do during the day. And then we review the reports and talk about it. So like, like this is like, so we send in reports. So I'm like, oh, okay, well, you know, this is what I saw today. And then like you take pictures and you send it along. So there are ways to like maintain the communication. But yeah, I mean, it's, uh, I'm on my own and it's like, yeah, um, yeah. You're telling me you're just like you're you're just able to like maintain. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm struggling to yeah. like for basic survival. Like, <laughs> yeah. My whole life is just now like work, um, clothing myself, feeding myself, done. Right, that's yeah. all I have time Back to for. The primal state. <laughs> yeah, that's all I have time for, and I'm not exactly sure why. So much of my time is taken up. It's not like my wife like clothes me or necessarily feeds me although she does some of the cooking but like it is it is amazing like how little time i have nowadays and so <laughs> i don't know um yeah but i've been getting some exercise in yeah. like you know it's been good i've been uh going back to aikido a little bit more frequently that's always good and uh, uh doing other forms of exercise so in general i've had like a decent life yeah um but yeah it's uh it's it's just there isn't like a lot of flourish or like I'm not like going out or like having the time of my life or catching up on television or anything like that. So you're just like more lonely. 
<laughs> uh, just keeping my head above water. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. I'm glad you're keeping your yeah, head yeah, above water. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, I, but you know, I'm looking forward to the holidays. My wife returns, uh, in a couple of weeks and then we're going out to North Carolina, yeah, yeah. uh, to visit my family. Um, I'll be there for about a week. So, um, that should be pretty good. I think yeah, yeah, I yeah. like, I like family. I like my family. Um, and I like the holidays. How's that? How's How are reports from Taiwan? Like, what? How's Angela doing out there? Yeah, she's, she's fine. Yeah. Uh, she's spending time. Her parents are aging, but still kind of lively. <laughs> Uh, so she's still exploring the city, and, you know, she has to run errands or do tech support for her family, and then uh, she gets some time on her own to, like, explore the city. And and Taiwan's a big food city, so my yeah. wife is more than happy uh, to explore that part of it. And it's, like, an interesting city in transition as it becomes kind of weirdly gentrified, um, or there's, like, you know, a sort of a new hipster aesthetic uh, sweeping across Taipei, so all of that is interesting. Um, it's also a very livable city, like the public transportation is very good, and uh, the food is relatively cheap and things are cheap, so it's certainly for, there's not a lot to do there, but it, for um, in terms of like lifestyle, it's it's not bad. Yeah. yeah. Do, you, do you think about it, like that's your ejection point, if shit gets real? We moved to Taipei. Uh, no, not for me. I mean, that's it's still south of France. Yeah, exactly. Well, my, my I mean, my shit gets real. I mean, I go to North Carolina. Yeah, yeah, right well, yeah I got the mountains. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'll be fine. Uh, I don't understand why. I, I mean, just in terms of well, based on what I said over the past couple of podcasts, do you think I want to move closer to mainland China? <laughs> I don't know. Also, yeah, yeah. yeah. That, that seems like a bad idea. I'm always telling my wife that her parents should have like an exit plan. That involves queens. Yeah, because yeah, everyone should. Yeah, yeah, because when things go wrong, I mean, yeah, uh, when I don't know when the mainland, when the Politburo gets a little itchy, they're gonna come for Taiwan. They go for Taiwan first. Yeah, yeah. well, maybe Hong Kong first, but then yeah, yeah. yeah. Totally true. Uh, yeah, we were talking earlier. North North Korea might be first. <laughs> Moving to North Korea, <laughs> yeah. and then as a reward for taking over. North Korea and saving us all from this threat. They, they get, Hong, the, Kong they get Hong Kong and Taiwan. <laughs> that would be great for China. <laughs> yeah. Uh, before we move on to politics, sure. I wanted to uh, give a little love letter to Thor Ragnarok. <laughs> yeah. Which we saw together. Yeah. My God, what a great movie! That was so much fun. That was the last time I saw you. I think. <laughs> was that the last time we yeah, saw yeah, each other? Yeah. Oh, I got wow. really sick after that. Right. Like, yeah. Yeah. But uh, the. Uh, that movie was so good. Yeah, that movie was really, really <laughs> solid. Uh, Taiki Waititi. Yeah, 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 yeah. Butchering that name, but yeah, really solid. Good comic timing, enjoyable buddy film. Yeah, like, it was uh, like the most enjoyable time I've had in the theater in like a couple of years. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know. Yeah, it was like a real break from the reality of our lives or whatever. Or it's, even just like the Marvel Cinematic yeah, Universe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Just like shit in general. Why was it so good and everything else is so bad? I didn't... I think they got a director with real personality, yeah, right? Well, I mean, I, again, I, they bring in a lot of indie directors, right? The Russo brothers were an indie director. And yeah. It's not like, yeah, so I'm not sure, but it, it's, you know, personality, some writing. It goes a long way. Like, I mean, it, it's still got like a formula. Right. Yeah, it didn't feel but, like a departure, but it just it, for some reason it was good, whereas everything else I've seen by it. Yeah, so it's a little bit of innovation along the around the edges, and it worked out pretty well. Yeah, yep. well, I, I urge anybody to go see it. Yeah, uh, if it's still in theaters. Yeah, it's... Uh, uh, so should we talk about our own Ragnarok? <laughs> uh, <laughs> Twilight of the Gods. Um, 
Yeah, let's talk a little bit about politics. So there are a couple of big pieces of news um, that came across the wires over the past six or seven days. Um, but I think we want to start off talking a little bit about uh, the tax bill that passed through the Senate. So yeah, yeah, it's still got to go through reconciliation uh, with the House, and then they've got to <coughs> vote on it. So yeah, there's still a chance that it might not pass, but it's it's going to pass. Yeah, yeah, that's a very, very, very slim chance. The only way that it could not pass is if they, the House did something to strip out the provisions that Collins and Flake wanted. Yeah, and also Roy Moore loses, and yeah. so it's a real tight vote, and then one of them flips over just to be a dick. Yeah, which is totally possible. Like I can see that happening. Flake especially. Like if they take out the DACA provisions or whatever. Yeah, I could see him like using that as a stump speech and then voting against it publicly and flagrantly. But then you might pick up Corker. So who knows? I mean, it's like a it's a whole thing. But it, it's going to pass. Like that's totally. Let's like, let's go on the assumption that it's going to pass. Yeah. So what is your take on on this tax? I guess, reform bill. <laughs> so I've been thinking so far, about it, yeah. and I think one of the things that makes me so mad about the current administration mm-hmm. isn't necessarily the the substance of what's happening. So if the 2016 election had been about how we need to reposition ourselves as a, in a foreign policy sense of allying with Russia and Turkey and at the expense of our more natural or traditional allies, Europe and you know Canada and South, you know, <laughs> uh, and the Middle East, and about tax cuts for corporations and the highest tax bracket, right? If that had been what Trump had run on, you know, that would have been fair, right? That would have been like a totally interesting thing to have like a discussion about. Sure, there's points to be made in favor of that, right? Sure, you yes. could you could totally like make an argument that these things need to happen or would be good for the economy and our foreign policy. I don't right. I don't agree with that, but that would have been honest, right? Yeah. Instead, we got almost the opposite of that and 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 then they've forced through these like serpentine, you know, initiatives that everybody suspected was the case, but you know, there were there's no discussion about it. There was no political referendum on this. And so the end result is with the majority they've managed to force through something that I think is unpopular and dishonest. It's not what anybody wanted. It is certainly not anyone's priority outside of the beltway or yeah. outside of outside of someone who's beholden to the Republican donor class. Right, right, right. So that's it's just a it's a very interesting set of priorities, I think, just yeah. because it's so obvious that the Republican leadership in the House and the Senate really had a, a fire lit underneath them. I mean, legislatively, it's gone through very, very quickly, right? Like, mm-hmm. in terms of a big, complicated legislation, rarely goes through in a couple of months. It'll be done probably by the end of the year. And I think that says something about the reason that they have a fire under their ass is because I think they got some very clear message, at least from a donor or two, if not more. Yeah. Uh, also, legislation is really easy to write if you didn't write it yourself. Yeah, sure, sure, sure. <laughs> right, right, right. right. Uh, <laughs> but uh, but I think it's but I mean it's it's really at the behest of, of the donors who said that we really need the, you to do this, um, or we're out, or they had some threat or something like that. It's not really clear what the actual terms of the the agreement, as it were, um, what would they look like. But yeah, it's it's something that was done to appease the donor class of the Republicans, and it's not a popular reform. Uh, and it's not a priority, I think, for Main Street by any means. So I'm just curious, with all of that said and done, why why are the 
Democrats taking a tact that involved being like claiming like hysterical facts about how people are going to die, etc., etc. When you could have a very good argument about, hey, this is a tax cut for corporations. Yeah, but, that's the tax that everyone should take, corporate tax cut. But and I think the the rhetoric has been unhelpful and hyperbolic. Yeah, no, I agree with you. But it's been, it's been coming from people who you can't trust about this rhetoric either. Like, right. if, if you know there had been like real like if there'd been dsa protests or like you know occupy wall street and like resurged as a result of this reshaping of the entire tax code that will yeah entirely you know what i mean like then I will, yeah. yeah i'm not sure i i think this is i i don't know if it's reshaping i think this is republicans republicaning right yeah no, right i mean sure. this is this is some i in some ways i think this is not a radical plan at all for a republican the permanent corporate tax cut's a pretty big deal I mean, it is, but I mean, where I don't, I don't, I think it's permanent in quotation marks. You're right. I mean, but, so I, but but it's well within the planks of the Republican Party, right? Yeah, yeah, The Democrats have a very different policy towards taxes, I think, in general, right? And corporate taxes yeah. in particular. And Occupy Wall Street happened under the Obama administration. Right. Where's the fucking? Where's the? Where's the wrath of the? I mean, you know <laughs> what I mean? Like this is actually. A huge deal, right? Like, if you believe in, if you believe in what you're I, I think it's, I mean, it's, it's a deal. I'm not sure it's a huge deal in terms yeah. of economic impact. Not for me. I'm just talking about for people who proclaim this to be the thing where they believe right. in. Right. I think most. symbolically you can make a lot of hay out of this, yeah. right? Like, politically it's easy to make a lot of hay, which is, again, a point I want to bring up. Why aren't the Democrats making sane talking points? They, certainly within the wheelhouse, it's not a popular tax cut. Yeah. It's not a tax cut to the... Well, I guess Individual. to answer your question, I think they're trying to stimulate this, like, Sanders wing to give a shit, but they're just not going to care. I, I don't think it's a natural fit for Pelosi or Clinton or Schumer or anybody in the Democratic leadership to do this because they are, you know, sympathetic to capitalism. Right? <laughs> centrist. <laughs> centrist, right, yeah. It's, Perhaps in hawk to the corporate interests yeah, of yeah, the yeah. US. It's, yeah, it's, sure. it's not for them to have this rhetoric and right. it feels unnatural and you're yeah. right. I think it's like, you know... ten eared yeah. Yeah, but... The, the actually making people care about this stuff is so hard, and I, 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 I think tax policy in general is yeah. something people sleep to. Yeah, yeah. So I want to tell the Republican that that's actually how the Republicans manage to get this shit. Done. Yeah, they care. Yeah, I mean they care. Like apathy means a lot in a democracy, yeah. right? So they actually care about this, and they all get it through, right? Yeah. So I want to make an argument that I don't think that the tax reform bill is going to create. A financial apocalypse or whatever they i probably agree with you i mean and we talked about this earlier but you know as i my first year like economic understanding is that fiscal policy doesn't really ever do much to either shrink or grow an economy it, it picks picks winners inside an economy internally but it doesn't there's no way you can have like a massive change one way or the other in an economic in, in the end i think it's probably a, a little bit of a wash but if you if you reduce taxes, then there are there is more money flowing into the private economy. Now you can make an argument that that's good. Um, I think most Republicans would say that's categorical good. I think Democrats are much more ambivalent about that. Whether or not it's good for money to be in the hands of private industry or the private sector, or as opposed to the public sector. One of the key things is though, if you cut corporate taxes, it's what it's at. The question is, where does that money go? Yeah. And so if it's really not clear, right? So uh, if you listen to someone like on the Wall Street Journal, they're like, they will make an argument and there is some empirical evidence that wage it, uh, cut corporate taxes, 
people uh, will go to wage growth and increasing employment. Uh, I think there's there is certainly evidence to say that it's just going to go to dividend buybacks that are effectively uh, uh, make uh, people who already own uh, stock or uh, some sort of corporate securities who are tend to be much more wealthy than the average person even richer right so like if you're if your money's going towards corporate dividends and things like that that of course union pensions are in like mutual funds sure i mean a lot of people do right a lot lot of people do invest so stock ownership is broad but i think in general if you put a one percent gain into the stock market it is certainly unevenly distributed right so it's not like regular joe schmo is going to get you know a 0.5 percent growth in their uh wealth uh, and personal wealth, but I mean, other people are far more heavily invested. Uh, upper people higher on the uh, on the economic ladder tend to be more heavily invested in the stock market, and like so. Yeah. So what you're saying is, if there is a financial apocalypse, it will not be as a result of this particular tax reform. I mean, I am a fan of thinking about things in cycles. Yeah. I think that. The economy is doing really well. That means that they're going to change. They're going to up the interest rate. So yeah, they'll up the interest rate. It will start. Yeah, yeah, I mean, this that's is, what I mean. Like, I think monetary policy will definitely have an effect on the economy. I, I I don't even know if I agree with that. Like, I just think that right now you're you're pushing a string. Like, I mean, upping the interest rate right now for an extra twenty five basis points or whatever. I mean, it's interest rates are low. That's fundamentally the truth. And so making it from extremely low to just very low is probably not going to have that much of a uh, an impact. I mean, changing the regulatory environment is important, right? So the businesses have um, less red tape, or they have a cleaner or more easy to understand tax code. These things actually do matter, um, and it could be stimulatory. But in general, I think the economy goes by cycles. So whatever whatever gains you're going to see in terms of the stock market or employment over the next six months, I mean they could reverse themselves in the next months. And so that won't have anything to do necessarily with the tax bill. But the point is that the Republicans got a tax bill out. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, the economy is doing fine without this tax bill. Right. Either way, like, you know, yeah. the, the people, they will, be, corporations will benefit. Yeah, yeah, right. Like, the people who wanted to benefit, right, yeah, right. The so economy can shrink like 5%. And, you know, if there's a 15% tax break for corporations, they will be doing better, right? Yeah. Like, I, yeah, I mean, I think, I think there are certain things Unlikely, that make sense. But, but yeah, right. I... I am not a fan of getting hysterical over this tax bill. 100% agree with you. Yeah. I just wish that the people who get hysterical, generally speaking, about this shit when it's a Democrat doing it, would get hysterical to the, a correct and possibly <laughs> higher order when it's a Republican doing it, who they... And the only time it's ever really happened is with Hoover. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that was the one time. You know, I had this conversation <laughs> uh, with someone and, uh, over the weekend, and they were so upset about the tax uh, a bill that they were calling people and, and and trying to call their senators, and I I just feel like that's an overreaction, right? I mean, it's it is a change, but it's not like a huge. I mean, there are things that maybe if the tax bill involves also repealing the health care mandate, the uh, maybe that's that's important. Yeah, but, I, I think there's two things that do fundamentally change, like the consciousness of America with sure. this bill, which okay, is well, the repeal of the estate tax, right? And I think that's huge as far as like thinking about what we consider just in America, right? Like, right. Okay. Yeah. And I think the corporate tax cuts a bit, but I think running on those two things politically, I think those are two things are politically damaging, right? Like we can, you know, right? I think in larger sense, I think the idea that just reducing the government's tax intake is a good thing. It's a very Republican way of 
envisioning the government as yeah. necessarily being smaller. And there are flip sides of, this, uh, of the same coin, but Republicans can't pass through legislation to, re to reduce benefits. Yeah. Right. So they effectively cut taxes and hope that sort of in a passive aggressive mood oh no for sure right yeah. they'll they'll be they'll they will they will force indirectly the government to uh, reduce its tax burden reduce its scope in and the american life right or in the economy in particular i think democrats have the opposite problem too right like they love uh, so they can't in any way um they can't really convince people that they want to hike taxes and yet they continue to push legislation that increases benefits right and or, or or tries to keep or is wed to this idea that benefits are a crucial part of our life and maybe they are but at some point someone has to pay for them and the sop on the democratic side is that oh okay we'll just have rich people pay and that's a really hard it's a hard pitch it's a hard thing to actually pull off and it's a hard thing to it's a it's a hard thing to really justify if you want an egalitarian society. Oh no, I totally agree with you. I just uh, I mean it's 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 going to require a crisis in order to make people want to raise taxes, right? And yeah. Especially coming off of this, right? Yeah. So we'll be going getting just getting back to normal will require a massive political will, right? Or getting back to here where we are right now, right? Yeah, I think that's I think it's dangerous. I think also we're continuing to lead into these or lean into these headwinds of increased benefits um or a profile of increasing costs when it comes to things like medicare well and also the massive amount of money we spend on the defense social industry is a, is a social security is a kind of benefit right we're giving all those people who you know work in the armed services which is massive it's the biggest employer right we're giving them all benefits for life right We've that's true to, but again that's also that goes hand in hand with like medicare i, I i'm not buying that i'm not buying the fact that that a general's retirement plan, or even just an NCO's retirement plan, is somehow an entitlement in the sense that I think it's part of they've it's part of the the I'm job saying, profile. Well, I'm not saying they shouldn't have it. I'm just saying they should should be, it's a definitely a government expense and it's yeah. increasing for sure. I'm not saying they shouldn't have it, but I'm saying there should be fewer generals. Like we should have like a smaller officer corps and smaller standing army. That I think is an argument for another day. I really have no idea about that. Sure, maybe. Okay. Uh, anything else about tax reform? Reform. <laughs> tax reform. Uh, nah, I mean, are, are your taxes going to go up? <laughs> uh, I don't know yet. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I think mine might, which is strange, but hilarious. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we're in New York, so we're, we're vulnerable to that. Yeah. And I think that's, again, it's part of a Republican agenda, right? Not only to peel back the state, but also, in some ways, peel back local sta uh, state government, right? Yeah. So, like, high tax, high benefit places like California and New York, implicitly, their tax policies are somewhat subsidized by the government and that subsidy is going away so there's an argument that they they're also trying to shrink new york state government and california state government they're trying to hurt i don't know other than sort of pursuing a republican philosophy of government i'm not sure whether they think that that'll actually endear new yorkers or californians to the republican party in any way which i kind of doubt but and the economies that depend on New York and California, yeah. which is all of the United States. Mm -hmm. So there's that. I mean, they are really dynamic parts of the of the country. Yeah, so. it's a lot of innovation, a lot of uh, a, a lot of you know the the thinking class and the working class. I mean, yeah. there's just a lot of fucking people. Yeah. Right? So we'll see. Yeah. Um, 
So nothing else about taxes. Do you want to go on to <laughs> the flip? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, do you want to talk about the flip? Yeah. <laughs> Just to recap, I guess it's Tuesday night, um, and there was some. there's a lot of uh, back and forth, but effectively, uh, Michael Flynn, who was the former uh, head of national security for Donald Trump for like a hot minute uh, during the transition for 28 days or something like that at the presidency, he has been indicted on a single relatively small count of lying to the FBI, and it seems that he's cooperating with the Mueller investigation. So, what do you think of that? Well, I mean, I said two weeks, and it was four. Okay. So, I was wrong about that, but I knew Flynn would be next, and Flynn was definitely next. And my theory was that Manafort was the bad cop, the example to the rest of the world. You know, like, we will prosecute for... Destroy you. Yeah, and prosecute on this particular crime, which is serving as an unregistered foreign agent. Right? Yeah, which is something Flynn is totally also guilty of. Right? right, and so now we're seeing the good cop. Like, if you cooperate with this investigation, if you you know are willing to, uh, if the reasons that you did it were for honorable ones as opposed to money and you know selling out your country, we, yeah, we might give you you know slap on the wrist and then allow you to turn over on your superiors. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, instinctively, what do you think? Is this a, is a bad thing? Is it a good thing for the gov- uh, for the Trump administration? A good thing for the Trump administration? That their national security advisor is now considered a felon? I mean, <laughs> I, but how bad is it then? How bad is it? Yeah. Um, it depends. I mean, we'll see. We'll see what comes of it. Right now, right. it's a good thing that he's not being prosecuted in the same way as Manafort, right? Like, right. You can you can consider that a victory. Like, yeah. oh look, he Paul he did the exact same thing, only worse as Paul Manafort, and he's only getting this one small charge, right? Yeah. But the, that gives the lie because the you know Papadopoulos was in, brought down or was talked about as just you know the crime that he was. Uh, accused of was lying to the FBI. Yeah. And no one's arguing that he's not cooperating with the Mueller investigation and turning on people. He totally right. did. We got massive leaks from everything that he was accused of, right? So why do we have any reason to assume otherwise that Flynn is not in the same boat as Papadopoulos? I I mean, it's a good point. Um, so I was listening. There's a lot of debate, right, about what uh, the actual crimes that he's been indicted for signal as in terms of the path forward and for the Mueller investigation. And obviously, I think people who are who want to see the uh, Trump being brought down, see every new announcement as some great uh, confirmation of their own belief that Trump will be impeached and found guilty of high crimes and maybe even dragged out into the streets and shot. <laughs> um, but I think there's a lot of debate and, and a debate on, from people I... I kind of respect. So one, uh, Andrew C. McCarthy, who writes for the National Review, uh, he's a hard read. He's 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 generally not someone any uh, leftist wants to read, but he, I think he, he brings up some good points. But for a more sympathetic view, uh, Preet Bharara, who is uh, who is a uh, former prosecutor in New York, he was actually famously fired by the Trump administration. He has a podcast, and he was talking about how he's. Given the roster and of charges against Flynn, he's actually somewhat suspicious that there's that much more that they, uh, or there's there's a lot of dirt lying around. Or he's, I think, in general, his idea is that as a prosecutor, you tend to charge as much as you can. And I think that is actually a recurring 
thread that I think people who have prosecutorial experience uh, look at the Flynn investigation and are somewhat befuddled about how light it is or how few crimes he's been charged with. I disagree. Think about this. What do we know that a president can be impeached for? We don't have too many data points or examples, right? right? We don't. A president's never been impeached for treason. That seems counterintuitive to the right. idea of a president, right? Right. But presidents have, in our lifetime, with with some of the standing senators in office still today, been impeached for obstruction of justice, right? So if you're trying right. to build an obstruction of justice case against this current president, right, right. you only have the one guy to be your like star witness for that, right? And he's a general, right? Yeah. So he's not going to be thinking of himself as treasonous in any way, right? You yeah. can't you can't tie him to collusion, but you can, you know, tie him to this obstruction of justice. You can get him on the facts of whatever you're trying to build a case of as far as that goes, right? Okay. So you and we have a precedent for trying for bringing impeachment charges against a standing president for obstruction of justice, right? Right. So once that is out there, once that is in the house, the articles are out there, everybody can no one has the credibility to argue against it. Right. Uh, and then in the future Senate, right, a lot of the people who would be Republican senators who would be trying this case already are on record as being, you know, against the president being, you know, tried for obstruction, including Lindsey Graham, you know. Lindsey Graham, for sure. I, uh, there aren't that many, though, who have been, I mean, there are a number, but. Hatch. There's, you know, plenty of still. Of, of, yeah, I mean, like 10. Yeah, 10. 10 but enough. That's, a, that's enough to convict him. So you think that he's. Miller is sort of um, trundling towards a, a uh, obstruction of justice charge. Yeah, I just think that that's the precedent. Like, if you have, if you look at the number of you know things you can, I like that it. argument actually because I think it also casts aside a lot of murmuring I've seen from people on the left about the Logan Act yeah. or the Emoluments Clause. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, they, I think these are are nice in theory but they're just there's not a lot there's no of precedent. precedent yeah there's no precedent for prosecuting someone based on that on those two i guess fa- factors of the law or aspects of the law especially at this high level right so we can't really think about emoluments we can't really think about the logan act uh but i think yeah maybe you're right maybe obstruction of justice is where this 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 uh I look forward to reading all about Circus the, is headed. the contacts and the level of depravity of the Trump yeah. campaign in the Mueller report. You know? Yeah. But as far as the bringing the to the trial, bringing this all this in, and that, that information will be salacious and damning. Yeah, especially this, the source. You think this? I mean, obviously, we don't know anything more than anyone else does because we're not on the inside. So, I mean, do you think Trump is is netted in all of this, or do you think it's? I think a Trump definitely will. Yeah. Be. I think they'll probably go after his son. Yeah, and then they'll probably get him on obstruction of justice for protecting his son, which would be a great, you know, future precedent for, you know, uh, against nepotism in government, which is probably something we should have had before. Right. right. So, son, son-in-law, son, you know, like these are people. You know, if you have a personal relationship with people who are unqualified, you're gonna have to end up protecting them when they fuck up. Right? Yeah, I think it'll be interesting. I think. I think there's a lot we don't know, and I think it's it's easy to speculate. And then, yeah. And there's so much of, like, wish casting, which is, you know, wish forecasting, wishful yeah. forecasting. I could totally be wrong, but we all saw the president obstruct justice, and he agreed to it and admitted to it and was proud of it. Like, yeah. It's not like a... I think you have a... And I think you have a strong argument in the sense that, like, there is there is precedent there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and precedent for a much smaller transgression, right? Like... 
Yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll agree that Bill Clinton is not as odious as uh, as Trump. Yeah, yeah. I mean, or at least the what he was accused of was yes. less odious. Yes. Less, How about that? Less of a high crime, more of a low crime. Any other thoughts about the whole Flynn gay investigation? It does bother me the amount of like anti-Russia, like the the fervor and like you know uh, the 1950s style like return to something. Yeah, and I, I think we've said this before. I mean, one of the one of the worst outcomes of all of this is that we take it as a purely partisan issue, right? That it, it, only the Republicans were vulnerable to this. Only Trump was vulnerable to this. It's so easy election. to imagine China doing this for the Democrats, yeah, right? Yeah, right, absolutely. It's a great point, right? So we can, we are vulnerable to these sort of entanglements, or these, this sort of meddling from foreign governments, and we have to really think about how we do, how we negotiate this going forward. And like you said, the Democrats are vulnerable too. I also think that unrelated is that I, I feel like people are both incredibly interested in sort of minutia of how uh, governments and process and transitions work, and then at the same time incredibly ignorant of it because of, of what... what of the facts of the reality of like the yeah. human beings. Who right, right, right. Like yeah. people who have never been in government, people who are trying to negotiate transitions... People, like, people who are having to try to have friends in a big city, right? right? You don't know where people, who people's allegiances are, who they might be working Right, and anyway. so, like, you know, uh, trying to... Uh, one of the things that I, I actually didn't understand why there was so much furore about this is that... And I, I guess I don't understand it on both sides of the argument, but uh, why, you know, the Trump, Trump scrambling to... Or the Trump administration scrambling to try to head off a vote about Israel seems, like, not great. Yeah. But totally in keeping with like the traditional polit- American body. Yeah, yeah, politics. Well, within politics, well within, and and also I guess just to come full circle, it also makes me wonder why Flynn just didn't fess up. And say, like, yeah, well, we were trying to do that. We didn't like the policies so. because of the Turkey thing. I mean, that was what yeah. he got to. He wasn't, you know, there was he was definitely trying to like smooth things over with Israel for Tur- You know, he was trying to build peace in a way that was totally like insane. Yeah, crazy. I mean, but crazy I, think, I believe like, that so- he believed that he thought it would work. Yeah, <laughs> and you know, it's just one of those things where, you know, one of the great rationaliz- uh, rationalizers in, in, in the human being's experience is, you know, the amount of money coming in. Yeah, and but look where yeah. the cards are now. I don't forget them. I, yeah, yeah. Know, so, so. Uh, and we're running a little out of time, but I wanted to talk, uh, and this is a topic I brought up with you off, Mike, uh, but I want to bring up, again, is Trump 2.0. So what if Trump, yeah. uh, you know, he just is a miserable husk of a president. He is impeached, or he has effectively made a lame duck in 2018, or his own party throws him out of office, I don't know. Yeah. Um, and someone releases more of the Access Hollywood tapes, yada, yada, yada. He just fades into the dust like our own era's Andrew Johnson. Yeah. Right? So, what happens to Trumpism? So, this is the one thing that this this movement, this this movement doesn't go away. This wedding of, like, sort of a nationalist um, America first, I guess. Uh, Sort of this combination of protectionism and nationalism and anti-immigrant instincts as well as uh, a willingness to um, continue along certain certain paths in terms of uh, 
benefits or entitlements, this weird marrying of the right and the left's sort of um, pet projects, I think that doesn't go away. Yeah, I, th- I don't think Trumpism dies with Trump, right? Like the Steve Bannon project of trying to um, make the right and the left see eye to eye on certain things as long as, you know, as long as we put Americans first and we define Americans as both a culture and a, almost an ethnicity. Um, yeah, and we do what we can to be both protectionist and isolationist and insular. I think that strain of politics doesn't go away, right? So my analogy is right. So there were plenty of anti-Semites and anti-Semite, anti-Semitic demagogues before Hitler. He was just, but he was the... He was the greatest of them, right? Like he, there were certain iterations and practice runs. And what if Trump is just a practice run for the, for this kind for of Tom Cotton? I, yeah, that's, I mean, yeah. yeah, I feel like he's the most likely to take up this mantle, right? Right. To try to unify, because he's young, he's got military experience. You know, he's the he's your Hitler, right? Uh, if Trump goes down. He's the stabbed in the back. You know, uh, he's the. It was Kushner that did it, right? Right, like, right. He's your, he's your, he's your guy that takes up after the Kaiser. Your, yeah. cor- your little corporal, right? Right. Interesting. But uh, I, don't, I don't know. I mean, it's that's just you know paranoid putting a metaphor on onto things something that doesn't exist. But yeah. He's also very well spoken and popular and like Tom Cotton. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, I. I, it's so ugly. I, I, it, it would, it would require economic downturn. Yeah. It would require, uh, which is one of the reasons Trump hasn't done as well as he could have been. You know, he, he's excited about his, you know, the stock market and America's fortunes being so great right now. But that's actually kind of sucked away a lot of his argument and steam, right? Right. You know. Yeah, it's certainly taken away. I think an argument for you know radical tax reform yeah yeah or like they have that immigrants are like destroying the economy right, right. clearly they're not yeah you know? uh the so i think i think trumpism is more of a symptom yeah of well do you agree with my thoughts that trumpism doesn't go away after trump yeah i mean i, I don't think it does i think i think we have i don't think it but i don't necessarily know that it's new i think it's almost like you know it, it Reading James Elroy, like this whole fifties, you know, like um, uh, America, like post yeah, some like, nativist protectionist, yeah, yeah with the paranoid style in American politics, yeah. conspiracy theories, and John Birch, and yeah, you know, that's that's and from the Klan in the twenties, it just resurges every now and then. Yeah, right? I think that's a very American uh, way of thinking about things. I think Hitler was kind of being American and is like paranoia and his populism right yeah not so much german like it was a new kind of phenomenon the nazis were really successful because they were kind of an american style political party, or a modern style yeah, political yeah, party yeah, right yeah. Like someone that's yeah uh they learned a lot from the democrats right they controlled the machine policy and they were ruthless in, yeah you know in the way that they got votes and got their vote out uh, yeah and controlled them just by being a minority uh, I think, and I, I think it's not going away. And I think it's our sin. I think it's something we have to deal with as Americans always, because we're there's no because there, there isn't that ethnicity. There's no American ethnicity, right? right? So people are very confused about what it means to be an American for that reason. There's yeah. no there's we have the Constitution, we have a shared geography, but right. the geography is giant, right? Yeah, and the Constitution is fungible. 
So yeah. then what the fuck are you left with? The language that if that's disappearing as people are afraid of, right? Yeah. So becoming a dual language society, then you know, you you have no core to yourself. Where you identify is it your religion, and so you're. I think Americans are uniquely susceptible to this sort of thing. Okay. Somebody coming along and telling them what it means to be an American. Right. right. Totally. Interesting. You know, arbitrary. Interesting. Constitution. Uh, yeah, I just wonder where how this works out politically, right? So I, yeah. I understand this stream of. Uh, popular and political philosophy or a, a way of thinking may be deep and inherent to American to the American body politic but I don't I wonder what it means in terms of political fortunes will we see someone will we see someone who's like Trump or believes something along the lines of like Steve Bannon or Trump but is actually charismatic and competent yeah I mean it just it depends on how utterly or what what Trump does to the Republican Party? Right. right. I don't think it can s- survive on its own. I don't think a Trump a Trumpist party would be very successful. Nor, but I also don't think that the Republican Party knows how to exist past Trump either. Yeah, although you know, there's some strains there. I think it depends on what the Democratic Party does too. Right. If the Democratic Party goes way left, right? Yeah. If it really like embraces the ambitions and ideals of your Warrens and Bernie Sanders is without any appreciation for the center. Then yeah. the Republican Party has a chance to reclaim that center with right. like, competence and you know reason, right? Square jawed military types. Square jawed military types who are not racist. Yeah. You know, are women. Square jawed military women, right? Yeah. You're Nikki Haley, right? We'll yeah. be able to seize in there and just return us to, you know, the Halcyon Bush days of militarist adventurism that's not racist <laughs> explicitly, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, it, you know, so I I, I think it's a it, Trumpism can exist for now it's a special time and place but I'm not sure that it exists in a vacuum without these two things happening okay alright that's fair um, what do you think I mean so do, what do you think it looks I know, like I, I, I just I just had a couple of thoughts about what I don't know how deep this philosophy works or it runs right yeah. so I don't know if there's now this set of beliefs that revolve around both uh both a sense of protectionism and isolationism and and um, large benefits and large handouts to American workers or however you want to do it. So some, some form of nativism and populism, nationalism and socialism, right? So that's... Yeah, yeah. We'd also have to see some evidence of that too, right? Like yeah. Trump has not delivered anything, anything yeah. yeah, to his people. Right, and I think you said this and not necessarily on the podcast, but effectively the accomplishments of the... Under under Trump, the accomplishments have been pretty run of the mill Republican like accomplishments. Whether it be the tax reform bill or pulling back deregulation, with the exception of maybe the immigrant ban, it's not hard to think of you know Marco Rubio or even Mitt Romney doing some of this stuff. So yeah, yeah, yeah. but it just you know has hurt the brand. It's really hurt foreign policy. I think. Yeah, he's that's the thing that is new. Yeah, total incompetence as far as foreign policy. Goes. Yeah. Um, well, we're running a little out of time, so you actually wanted to talk a little bit about uh, maybe 
a little outside the bubble, some recommendations? Yeah, I wanted to recommend two things. Uh, one is I'd kind of gotten away from Karina Longworth's, uh, you must remember this podcast. I was listening to it in order, and it kind of hit some doldrums as far as like uh, the MGM stuff, and I just didn't care that much about it. Oh, okay, yeah. But uh, I got into the Blacklist episodes, yeah. which I thought are utterly fascinating. Yeah. And it's definitely something to keep in mind when, as this whole Russia panic swoops over. Just the way in which like that whole, whole thing transpired right. and the way in which people's you know, like whole careers were destroyed because of like minor associations with people or ideologies that they didn't fully understand. Yeah. Uh, it's a really fascinating set of podcasts, and just hearing all sides of it is interesting, right? Yeah. I, and... Also, the historical perspective she puts in there about the post-war kind of America and us turning against, us creating this myth that, uh, against Russia uh, after World War II because of Stalin, right? Like, which a lot of myths that we still have. And, we, you know, Americans think Americans won World War II, right? Like, we, sure, think we got in there and, like, kicked ass and we're the reason why the Nazis were defeated, right? Which is false. I mean... Helped. We certainly right. were mainly not involved in that war. Right. Right. right? Yeah, but the man and material was. American. Sure, I mean, it was American material, but it was also American material for Russia, right? Like we definitely were the arsenal of democracy, right? Yes. We definitely built everything. Okay. All right. But as far as like human lives law, not worth arguing. But anyway, yeah. so that so it's interesting to see how then this myth became that you know we'd done it alone and yeah. Russia was to be feared and mistrusted as far as like. And I mean, you know, communism is terrible, definitely. Yeah, and I mean, they did a very good job of infiltrating a lot of the American government. They did, and you know, the people were also patriots who were kicked out. A lot of them. Yeah. Uh, and uh, the Democrats were on the side of this. Were took this once before, right? That's right. who, and they lost their you know majority for a long time as a result of the black of the communist paranoia. Right. right. Uh, so it's worth keeping in mind. Um, uh, the other thing is I'm reading Nixon Agonistes. Are you familiar with this book? No. It's by this guy, Gary Wills. Have you heard of him? I don't think so. I've never heard of him. He's kind of a revelation. He's like this Catholic uh, historian. He won the National Book Award for his book about Lincoln. I think it's called Lincoln at Gettysburg. Okay. But uh, this book's about like Nixon uh, as like a self-made man, like the, uh, you know, uh, a true like he's considers him like a liberal president yeah I, I actually don't think that's wrong yeah it's a really interesting book right uh, and it's uh, uh, he Gary Wills a historian was like William Buckley's protege okay and then after during the Nixon administration he kind of went left as a result of civil rights and okay. seeing Nixon kind of create her out but it's a it's an interesting book because it, it you know a lot of comparisons have been made between Trump and Nixon lately, right. and probably no two Americans have ever been more different. <laughs> you know, just right. like in their history and their comportment and in their ambitions. Right? right. So reading, you know, what Nixon wanted for America and seeing, yeah. you know, it, it's very interesting and it's a very compelling read. Uh, he was very close to the Nixon campaign and uh, he. Okay. I really recommend it. It's very, very well written. He's like a he's a he's got a good eye for uh, personality, and uh, he tells a good story. All right, that's cool. Uh, All right, and it's just about like Nixon, kind of in the ring. That's what it's about. Okay. Agony stays as a as a, 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 a as a fighter. But yeah, I recommend those two things. Oh, like awesome, great. Uh, I was going to come up with a I my outside the bubble suggestion is uh, Noah C. Rothman. I did not believe I've mentioned him before. He's uh, I believe he's the senior editor at Commentary uh, okay. uh, Magazine, which is interesting. But um, 
He's younger. He's probably only in his 30s. Uh, commentary is sort of an older magazine with an older editorship. Uh, but he's very interesting. He's lively on Twitter, or he's active on Twitter, um, and he's quite good, actually, on the commentary podcast. And so he's worth listening because I think he's uh, he's, tr- he's conservative, but he really does uh, struggle. He, he's neoconservative. Yeah, yeah, yeah right, 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 right. What's another word for neo that means new? I don't know. Um, yeah, he's he's young conservative. He's ex-conservative. I don't know. Anyway, uh, he's he's quite good, and he's, he's worth listening to. He's, he's intelligent. I find myself agreeing with him a lot. Um, I don't necessarily agree with him on everything, but he's yeah, definitely insightful for sure. Uh, so what are some of his positions that you find? I mean, I uh, so I mean some of the stuff that he he will actually, uh, I think he finds uh, Roy Moore particularly appalling. Uh, I think that's and he talks a lot about how that is he doesn't know where the Republican Party is going, um, and at the same time I think his his whole take on how uh, the uh, how how the Franken issue is actually hurting. The Democratic Party and how they've absolutely seeded oh, yeah. them. It's fucking terrible. Yeah, yeah, seeded the moral ground. I think I think he he can literally talk about it in the same podcast. And and I thought it was it was a well breath of it was really trying to get to some very basic facts about both the parties and how they've largely seeded moral high ground. It's very hard. This is a, sort of an ugly form of politics. I think in general he's he's got a good feel for. Um, how politics and culture interact with each other, and I think also he's. A, I I was listening to his stuff on uh, the Flynn investigation. And I think his boss was like, "Oh, this is nothing," but he continued to argue that yeah, he thinks that there is something behind this. So, um, still conservative guy, hates Democrats, but um, it's worth listening to for a definite uh, commentary podcast. Noah Rothman, follow him on Twitter. Yeah, no, it's very compelling. I'm curious as to what's going on in Commentary Magazine these days. I think they've got a good. They got another guy, Sorab uh, Amrani. I forget his last name. Um, and they got a young guy, uh, and yeah, they're. Uh, it's an interesting group. Yeah, I mean, it's Commentary Magazine is definitely. Um, it's its own thing. It's yeah. like conservative New York Jews. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like is, you don't want to tangle with commentary. It's yeah. like they roll in like suits, and it's like they're ready, and they, yeah. they've read everything you've read. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, with notes. Yeah, yeah, they do a lot of pop culture stuff too, which uh, tends to be quite good. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, well, yeah, I guess I, I, is there anything else you want to talk about? Or? No, 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 we're out of time. Okay. Yeah. So uh, thanks everyone for listening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This has been episode 30 of Rumor Requirement. And here's to 30 more. Here's to 30 more. <laughs> uh, and thanks to Kevin Carter for producing our outro music. Yeah. yeah.